The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Lord Jesus, what we've sung is true. To you alone belongs the highest praise. So Lord, this morning we thank you for another opportunity to meet with you, to hear from you. Lord, speak clearly to us now. We need your wisdom. We need to hear from you. So Lord, um, we trust you. We trust what you want to accomplish um, in this, this hour we have together. And Lord, we, um, we want to be attentive. We want to, to hear from you. We, we don't want to get in the way of what you're trying to do. So Lord, um, give us ears to hear. We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to church on Super Bowl Sunday. I'd just like to go ahead and say... The Panthers are going to win. Go Carolina, all right? Now hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. So this is a podcast. So people are going to listen to this after the game. So everybody, let's reset real quick. Welcome to Christ Church on Super Bowl Sunday. Really glad you're here. I'd just like to say the Broncos are going to win tonight. Go Broncos. All right, so Tommy, whoever wins, uh, just cut off whichever one was wrong, and we'll put it on the, the front, all right? Cool? And you guys don't tell anybody. All right, anyway, I'm glad you're with us this morning. Our topic today, negative versus positive speech. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. I've always thought about that verse, like speaking death. I've always thought about that as like bringing up a past wrong someone did to you. That's, that's speaking death to that person or, or slander or gossip or insults, you know, like saying the last time I saw a face like yours, I fed it a banana, something like that. Like I always thought that speaking death to somebody and death, is, that's a big description for the power of these words. Is that really accurate? I think it is because what does death do? Well, it... It steals hope and it reinforces fear. Have you ever been with someone or knew somebody that was close to the point of death? And unfortunately, have you ever known someone in a situation where they didn't have the life of Jesus and they were facing that? What happened? What did death do? It did a terrible work on them, didn't it? It stole their hope of anything good happening to them in the future. It's gone now because death is right here. And what did it do? It reinforced their fear. All of a sudden, all the fears that they felt, they're, they're here. Worst case scenario is here, and their fears are more real than ever. And that's what Proverbs says, our words have the ability to do. They can steal hope, they can reinforce fear. And those are words of death. And insults do that. And bringing up the past to people does that. And, and slander does that. And gossip does that, absolutely. But are there other words that do that as well? And I would say yes. And I would say they're even more common than gossip and slander and insults and bringing up the past in somebody's face. I would, I would call them simply negative speech. And you know negative speech. You're familiar with speaking negatively. Maybe you have a friend who's a negative Nancy or a Debbie Downer. You know who they are. And just, it's everything, something's always wrong. And every time someone brings something up, well, the problem with that is blank. Or the thing you don't understand about that is this, right? And we know people like that. It reminds me of the, the story of the twin boys. One was an eternal optimist, one was an eternal pessimist, you know. And so on their, on their birthday, their dad decided to try an experiment. So in the, the optimist room, uh, he filled his room full of, of dung, and in the uh, pessimist room, he filled his room full of every toy you could possibly imagine, and, and of course, the, what did the pessimist do? He spoke negatively. 
because that's what they do. He spoke negatively. He said, you know what? I'm going to have to read all the instructions for these toys. I don't know half of how half of them work. I'm going to need batteries for all these toys. I'm, I don't even know how to use them all. This is just terrible. And he goes to the optimist's room, and what's he doing? He's happily digging through the poop in his room, and he says, son, why are you so happy? And he said, with this amount of poop, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. And that's what... And, that, and, and that's the pessimist, right? The negative speech. And we all use negative speech. I can't. This won't ever change. This is, the, this is the worst. We'll never get out of this. And the scripture gives us a couple categories, I think, of negative speech that we're familiar with. One would be complaining, and the other would be grumbling or mumbling. And so when we complain, what's, what's the definition of complain? It literally means to express dissatisfaction or annoyance about a state of affairs or an event. Okay, can I put it more simply? When we complain, to complain is to put a spotlight on the negative. It's to put a spotlight on the negative. Like, let me give you an example. Maybe you came up to me one day and you said, you know what, uh, Grant, I, we're going to do something real nice for you and your wife. Uh, here is, here's a gift card to, to Firebirds, my wife's favorite restaurant. Here's a gift card to Firebirds. We're going to keep your kids for the night. Um, and and we'll be, great, we're, we're gone. And you say, well, don't you want to know like, anything more about us? No, it's fine. Just, I don't know, feed them or don't. I don't care. Anyway, we're going to Firebirds. And we go to Firebirds, and they say, you know, the wait is 25, it's 20 minutes, and I'm looking at my watch, and, and they come get us for our table, and we've been waiting 25 minutes instead of 20 minutes, and we eat, and the food is good, because it always is at Firebirds, right? And we have a good time, and we get home, and you say, how is Firebirds? And then I say, yeah, the food, whatever. But we had to wait 25 minutes for our table, 25 minutes. I told them my name and everything. He did nothing. 25 minutes. Five minutes long. They told us 20 minutes at the most. We waited 25. I was so hungry and my stomach hurt. Yeah, but how was the food? Yeah, the food, whatever. 25 minutes. Can you believe that? And we couldn't go anywhere else because you gave us a gift card to this place that makes us wait, right? What am I doing when I complain? I'm focusing. I'm putting a spotlight on the negative. I'm ignoring the positive and I'm putting a spotlight on the negative. And Philippians 2 gives us this command. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Why do we complain? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons and maybe even legitimate reasons. Maybe things are difficult or things are inconvenient. You know, maybe there's a process at work that gets on your nerves because it's so inconvenient. So you complain or maybe you're uncomfortable. Maybe it's a difficulty in a relationship. So you complain. Maybe things go against your preferences. So you gripe about your opinion not being as valued as you thought. And again, to complain is what? to put the spotlight on the negative. And when I'm talking about don't complain, I, I mean when it's unnecessary or inappropriate. Sometimes maybe you should complain, okay? If you get on a roller coaster and, you're, and your harness doesn't latch, that's a moment to complain. Excuse me, this is not latching, okay? Don't, that's a moment, that's appropriate. But I, I, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's so much positive here, there's so much opportunity here, and you're just shining the spotlight on the negative. And that's to say, to complain is to say, I'm not happy. It's a, it's a focus on that. And as you complain and as you focus on the negative, what happens to you? It's death. It begins to steal your hope of anything good ha- going to happen to you in the future, and it reinforces your fears, right? You focus more and more on what's wrong, and your fear grows, and your belief that anything good's going to happen is diminished. Like, have you ever complained and complained about a problem, been so focused on the problem that you blew it way out of proportion? And what did it do? It dominated everything. It dominated your hope. Your hope is gone. It, dom- it, 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 just, it, it made your fears way bigger than they possibly could be. 
And that's what putting the, the spotlight on the negative does. It makes a bigger deal out of the difficulties and blocks out our hope. That's negative speech. And then there's another form of negative speech, the murmuring and the grumbling, which is a half-suppressed or muttered complaint or to complain or protest about something in a bad-tempered but typically muted way. So it's not just to complain, but it's to complain with anger. It's to complain even with malice. So if complaining is, I'm not happy, grumbling is, I'm not happy, and it's your fault. I'm not happy, and I'm angry. I'm not happy, and I'm bitter. I'm not happy... Fill in the blank there. Complaining is, is way more passive and grumbling is more aggressive. It's accusatory, it's judgmental, it's angry, it's fearful. First Corinthians 10, nine says, nor shall we put Christ to the test as some of them did and they died from snake bites and don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. This is referencing a time where the Israelites are out in the desert and they are grumbling against God. They're complaining they're, they're uncomfortable and they're complaining and they're saying, God, it's your fault. And they face some judgment for it. And, and, they, and they were angry and they were irritable and they were blaming God. This is grumbling. And we do this. And we grumble, right? We grumble about things that are difficult. The situation's terrible. And it's his fault. It's her fault. We grumble when things are inconvenient. This process at work, yes, it gets on my nerves and I'm furious about it. And I'm irritated about it. So much so, I might even take it out on somebody. Things are uncomfortable. There's a difficulty in our relationship that makes me uncomfortable. So you need to change because you're the problem. Things go against our preferences. This doesn't line up with what I want, so I'm bitter about it. And the angrier we get and the more irritable we become, the more our fears are what? They're crystallized, right? Because I'm, I'm just so upset and everything going wrong that could go wrong has gone wrong. And that's just how it's going to be. And our hope seems pointless because it's all going to be the worst no matter what. And that's negative speech, and that's what negative speech does to us. But are these death words, are they stealing the abundant life God has for us? Absolutely they are. They're powerful. They're incredibly powerful. I want to show you the scripture today, and I want you to see it in the scripture. It's crazy. If you have a Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there might be some under your chair. Uh, if you'd like to take that with you, that's our gift to you. Go ahead and take it. Um, and uh, if you want to follow along on a smartphone, tablet, whatever, you can do that as well. Numbers. Chapter 13, you there? All right, so where we're gonna pick up here in verse one, the people of God, Moses had led them out of uh, captivity. They're no longer slaves, but they have not inhabited the promised land yet. The promised land has other people in it, and that's where we pick up here in verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So the Lord says to Moses, all right, man, it's time. We're going to go into Canaan. That's your land. I'm giving it to the people. So I want you to pick out a leader from each one of the 12 tribes. Not just some dude, not just some lackey or whatever. You pick a leader from their tribe, and you send them in to spy out the land. So he gets 12 leaders together. And look at verse 17. Skip to verse 17. This is what Moses tells him. Go up into Nagab and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage. That's positive speak. I like it. And bring some of the fruit of the land. So they, they, they were sent there and he says, look, bring me a report. I don't know everything. 
Tell me about the people there. Tell me about, are they in little dwellings? Are they in a, like a fortified city? Like, like, just tell me everything you can. Tell me about the land. If you can, like, even bring some of the fruit back. Like, like whatever the land is producing, bring that back to us. Um, and bring us a good report. So they returned. 40 days later, they returned with a report. Look at verse 27. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flowers with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they bring some fruit back. Look at verse 28. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the, of the Nagab, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. They say, look, the land is great. Milk and honey everywhere. I don't even know what that looks like, but it's awesome. It's great. And check out this fruit. This fruit is huge. It's crazy. Check it out. It's great. But slight problem. Cities are super fortified. The, the people there are really strong. There might even be giants there. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a big, big deal. But then Caleb speaks up. Look at verse 30. Caleb, my boy, check it out. Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Bam, right? You talk about someone speaking positively in a negative situation. He says, let's go. Let's go get them. We can do it. We can do it. Hey, guys, we can do it. We just, hey, Caleb, we just said giants. Yeah, I know. I saw them. Let's go. Let's go get them. And look at verse 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Immediately, negative speech. They were fearful, and they spoke from their fear. And then they spread it to the rest of the people. Look at verse 32. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, the giants, and we seem to understand, and we seem to see, excuse me, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Their message was, look guys, no, forget it. The land is terrible. It's going to kill us. The, everybody there is a giant. You see their report change a little bit? Everybody there is a giant. We're like grasshoppers. It's isn't worth it. We're going to die. This is a bad, bad news. And what is Israel's response? What would be your response? If 10 of the 12 people went to go check out this land that God had promised you, and they came back and said, tons of giants just going to eat us alive, what would your response be? Well, here's Israel's response. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We're scared, we're upset, and, and you know what, Moses and Aaron, it's your fault. You let us out here. And what is God doing? It'd be better for us to die out here than for us to go in there, get killed, and then our wives and children, they do whatever they want with them. I don't think so. Let's find a leader. Who's taking me back to Egypt? I want to be a slave again. Let's go back there. But Joshua and Caleb, the only two of the 12 that went and believed God, they spoke up and check it out. They, it was awesome. Look at verse seven. The land 
which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Instead of shining the light on the negative, they shine it on the absolutely positive. And I love this. I love this response here. This is like today, today, somebody, somebody in the Carolina Panthers organization is going to give some sort of pep speech, pep talk, whatever, before they go out there in the locker room, some Rudy-esque speech. And they're just going to be like, today, we're winning one for the Gipper. That's Hoosiers. Anyway, they're doing, they're going to say something, get everybody excited. Same thing for Denver. Do it for, for, uh, uh, Peyton Manning, because he's going to retire and just eat Papa John's the rest of his life or whatever. And they're going to try to get them all pumped up. Nothing's more like big time beat on my chest than what they just said. They said, oh yeah, those giants, they're like bread to us. They're bread. God is, has abandoned them. God is with us. We will eat them alive. Right? Like that is like, that's pick up your swords. Let's go. Let's go get them. And what's their response to this speech? They all get up out of the locker room and they run out and score a touchdown. No, what do they do? Look at verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So they hear this speech. Guys, the Lord is with us. The land is great. These people are like bread before us because the Lord isn't with them. The Lord is with us. And someone goes, I don't, uh, kill them. Stone these guys. It's bad. Pick up, uh, right? Like this is bad. But then the Lord showed up. It says his glory filled that place. And the Lord speaks to Moses and he said, what, are, what have I done to you guys? What am I gonna do? Fine, I'll kill all of you. I'll start over. And I'll make a nation even mightier. And Moses intercedes for them. Moses intercedes. And so God relents and he says, fine, I'll pardon them. But everyone 20 years old and older who's grumbled against me, they will die here in this desert. They said they'd rather die, they will die here in this desert. And their children, who they didn't trust me to provide for, who they thought I was leading to become slaves of another people, they'll inherit the land. I'll take care of them. Everyone else, they'll die out here. Then chapter 10 ends with this incredibly, it's just stupid. Or chapter 14 ends with this, it's, I, I don't know how to describe it. Because what happens next is the 10 who, who grumbled against God, the 10 spies who didn't trust God, they die of a plague. So they die in the desert just like everyone else will over these next 40 years, but, but they die quicker. They die of some sort of sickness before God. And so the people freak out. And so they mourn and they say, okay, all right, God, we doubted you. Okay, let's go take the land. So someone go, let's go take the land. Okay, we trust God now. Let's go take the land. And Moses says, don't, no, don't, don't. Like God isn't with you. No, no, no. He's spoken. You're going to have to die in the desert. Your children will take the land. Don't. He's not with you. And they go, ah, we're going to go do it. We're going to go do it because we trust God. So we're going to go. And Moses goes, no, for real, don't. So Moses doesn't go with them. The Ark of the Covenant doesn't go with them. They go, a bunch of them go. And what happens? They get slaughtered. They go without God. They tried to solve their own lack of faith problem on their own. They disobeyed God again and they suffered for it. Their negative words here in this story literally led them to death. It reinforced fear and it stole their hope. And you might ask, do you really think our words matter that much? Yes, I do. And, and let me be clear. 
I'm not saying this is like a name it and claim it thing. I'm not saying if I speak this out into the universe, it will happen. I'm not saying that I can prophesy every time I open my mouth, that when I speak out a blessing, I'm prophesying a blessing, or when I speak out a curse, I'm prophesying a curse, all right? You better hope that's not true, or everyone who's driven past me on the interstate is cursed, okay? Like, that's not going to work. I'm not saying that. So why in the world do their words matter? Why are they so destructive? And why do they offend God so much? Because their negative words came from faithless hearts. That's why they matter. Their negative words came from faithless hearts. Luke 6.45, Jesus says, from the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. When they chose to embrace negativity and speak these words, they simultaneously chose to what? Ignore trusting in God. God had said, I'm giving you this land. Go check it out. I'm giving you this land. And they had to make a choice that when they saw the fortified city and when they saw the, when they saw the, the scary armies or the scary men or whatever it was, they had to make a choice in that moment to take God's words and say, I don't believe you. I believe what I see. I don't believe that. I believe what I see. And the same thing is true for us. When we choose negativity, we're choosing to ignore the promises and the goodness of God and to embrace our fear. That's why speaking negatively and constant complaining and grumbling is so dangerous because it comes from a heart problem and it only compounds the problem. It doesn't lead you to more trust. What does it do? It leads you to more fear. And it leads you to, it leads you to stop, to, to trust yourself more. And it leads you away from hope. And it leads you away from trusting in God. It's like going to the doctor, finding out that you have, you have clogged arteries, and then going, I know what I'm going to do. And you just go eat bacon for three months straight or whatever. It's just compounding the problem. A delicious, delicious problem. But it's compounding the problem. And that's what the negative words are. And look at him again. Look at what happened. They complained. God had said, you guys go in, check out this land. It's all yours. And the spies saw a land of milk and honey. I don't even know what that looks like. It sounds awesome. Think about where they're coming from. They're coming from a desert. They're coming from a desert and they walk into a place flowing with milk and honey. So fertile and green and beautiful. Have you guys seen the new Star Wars movie? Okay, we got a few Christians in here. Okay, good. In the new Star Wars movie, there's this girl. She grew up on a desert planet. She goes to a land that's lush and green, and she says, I didn't know there was this much green in all of the universe. It just blew her mind. That's what's happening here. They're coming from a desert, and they're walking this beautiful place. The fruit that they find, like they get this cluster of fruit that's so large, they have to carry it on poles between two people. I've, I've bought grapes a lot from the store. I've never had to get help. Can I get, excuse me, help on aisle one. I need to pick up this cluster of grapes, okay? Can I borrow your truck? I need to move my grapes. Like the land is that fruitful. And so it's incredible. But then the cities, oh no, they're fortified and the people are strong and they're big. And instead of choosing to focus on the blessings that God was giving them, like literally they were touching the blessings God had given them. They chose to doubt and focus on the negative. They shone that spotlight on the bad and not the good. And what was the result? Their hope was gone. Their hope was gone. What did they say? We can't take this land. We'll be defeated. We'll be wiped out. All of their faith in God doing something good for them in the future was gone because they focused on their fear and they spoke their negativity and their fear grew. 
What did they say? All the people we saw, verse 32, all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the giants. So what did they say? All the people we saw are giants. Is that true? Of course it's not true. Of course that's not true. But did it feel that way to them? Yes, absolutely it did. Because what happened? They spoke their negativity, they focused on their fear, and it just grew. It just grew. It might as well have been true. It just grew, which led to the people grumbling. This is terrible. Moses and Aaron led us here. God has abandoned us. God wants our children preyed upon. Let's go be slaves again. Their negativity stole their hope and reinforced their fear. Why? Because choosing to embrace our fear, to complain, to blame shift, to get angry, to be irritable, is to choose to not trust God. This was serious. And look how far reaching their negativity went. Look at, look at how the death spread from them. What happened? What happened? It started with, with 10. There were 10 of these 12 spies who doubted God and were negative. And what happened? After they spoke and they spread that fear throughout all of Israel, what happened? A generation of people died in the desert. That's what happened. A generation of people who were called to the promised land now are going to die in the desert. It's a big deal. It spreads out. Everybody was affected. Everyone around them, their neighbors, their families, their children, those who they didn't even know were affected by their words. And that's true for us too. Your negative speech doesn't just affect you terribly, and it does. It steals your hope. It reinforces your fears. It does the same for those around you. It teaches your family you can't trust God for everything. It teaches your children that God's promises, okay, they're true for some part of our lives, but not every part of our lives. It teaches your neighbors that your joy is connected to other things beside him. So what should we do? What should we do? We should reject negative speech and choose positive speech. Now listen, I'm not saying like, well, duh, okay. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you should just stop saying anything that seems negative. And only say things that are positive. I don't mean embrace wishful thinking. I don't mean that at all. Because what's wishful thinking? It's the formation of beliefs or making decisions on on something that's pleasant, some pleasant idea or pleasant reality, and and it it has no basis in evidence or logic or rationality, right? That's wishful thinking. Like, Like it's positivity that's baseless, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we should do that at all. If you and I were in the car and we were driving through a school zone and I'm going 65 in the school zone and a cop gets behind us and pulls us over and I look at you and I say, don't worry about it. I'm not going to get a ticket. And you say, why do you think that? And I say, because I'm positive, right? Like I'm just being positive. No, I'm a crazy person. And hopefully I get arrested for driving that fast in a school zone. But, but no, 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 that's not what we're saying here. That's baseless, Instead, I'm not saying we should just say things like, everything will be all right. Baseless positivity. Hey, don't worry, she'll get healed. Don't worry, you'll get the promotion you want. With the Lord, we don't have to talk like that. We don't have to lie. We don't have to have this baseless, wishful thinking. We have the foundation of his goodness and his promises that can fuel our joyful, positive, and truthful speech in any situation. We can, lay, we can say, he's at work here. Well, this situation's tough. Yeah, 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 I know, but he's at work here. That's positive. He's good all the time. He'll never leave you. He will provide. I can say that, and that's positive, and that's true. 
I can say that. And this comes from where? A heart of faith. Speaking positively comes from a heart of faith. Caleb and Joshua, they saw the giants. They saw the fortified cities. They were there. They were, they were two of the 12. They didn't just hear the report and go, oh, that sounds terrible. We're gonna trust God anyway. They saw them. They were there. They saw what they were up against, but they trusted God's promises anyway. And their speech reflected it. What they say, we can do it. The Lord is with us. Don't fear. Positive, informed speech. And this should be our goal when we speak, especially in difficult times. I want my word to speak life. I want them to, to bolster your hope and I want them to drive out your fear. That's, that's our goal there. And again, that's based in the promises of God. You could be complaining about your boss. And I could say, yeah, your boss is a jerk. I could speak negatively. Or I can say, it must be difficult to work in an environment like that. But at least you know God's still at work there. How have you seen him working there? That's positive. That's putting you what? Your focus back on God, off your fears. I can say, you know what? I didn't get the promotion or the raise I wanted. But I can honestly say, I have everything I need. That's positive. I can say, I'm not gonna make it. It's too hard, I can't do it. Or I can say, I feel like I'm not gonna make it, but I know I can, because his mercy is new every morning. I could complain about everything, or I could be thankful. Our words can speak life or death, it's a choice we make. And listen to me, church, we have a responsibility to one another to speak life. We have a responsibility to speak life to one another, to speak positively. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore what? Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That's a command. That's not a request. Hey, if you get around to it, could you encourage one another? Hey, if you're having a good day, could you encourage one another? This is a command of God for us. Encourage one another and build one another up. And then look at Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not to, not to discourage, not to get you down, not to get you to complain. How to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one, one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not to speak negatively, not to speak harshly, not to speak angrily. We have a responsibility to speak in a way that's hopeful and encouraging. And we can always do that. We don't have to sound like some idiot, right? That doesn't know that the sky is falling. That doesn't know that the sickness is real. That doesn't know that you lost your job. We don't have to be like that. We can speak positively and joyfully and with hope because we have it. We have it in Christ. And to speak negatively, what? Denies that. It denies what he's brought us. We have his hope. We have his promises. And so we have responsibility to one another to speak life and not death. And we also have a responsibility to speak life to all people. Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Listen, why? Why do all things without grumbling? Why do all things without murmuring? Why is this my responsibility? Why? What are you gonna accomplish, God? What's it say? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. If you walk around speaking negatively, 
complaining, grumbling, murmuring. What are you? You're not a light. You're like everybody else. You're just another bit of darkness among a canvas of it. But if even in the darkest of times, you can speak positively, you can speak hope, you can speak joyfully, you can speak with a contentment that people can't wrap their heads around, what are you? You are what? A light in the world. You will shine as a light in the world. It points people to the reality of Jesus. It points people to the reality of Jesus. When I watch my brothers and sisters who suffer from disease or suffer from illness or, or, or are, facing, are facing their end and they do it with hope and they speak joyfully and they speak with contentment, what does it do? It shines a bright light in a dark and crooked place. When I see my brothers and sisters who've been wronged by other people, who've been victimized, who've been taken advantage of, not speak complaining words, not speak death words, although I'd understand it, right? But instead speak positively and with hope and with trust in God's goodness. It's a light in a dark place. We have a responsibility because of what Christ Jesus has done for us to speak positively to all people, to point people to the reality of Jesus, to be lights. So we opened with Proverbs eighteen twenty one: Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Will you today choose fear and anger and speak death? Or will you choose to trust God and speak life, bolstering hope and driving out fear, being a light in a dark world? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, our words are powerful. Your word says we're created in your image. Then Lord, I guess that means that we would reflect something about you and God. We see in your word that you communicate. You are a God of words. And your words are powerful. Our words certainly don't rival your power. Never have and never ever will. You are supreme, but... Our words do reflect you in that they carry power. And so God, may we understand the power that they carry. And may we understand the ability to speak life or speak death. And maybe this morning for the first time, I know for me this week, this was the first time I thought about speaking death in the sense of just being negative was speaking death. Being negative was stealing hope from people. Being negative was, was solidifying my own fears and, and, and hurting my trust in you. Lord, like help us make some changes. Maybe we know how we speak negatively. Maybe we know where we are when that happens. Lord, help us choose to speak positively, to look square in your promises, to look in your word, to look at your goodness, to look at what you've done for us. And not speak this baseless, empty, pie-in-the-sky positivity, but instead speak this deep, anchored joy based in your goodness and based in your promises. Help us be those people to be your lights by the way that we speak. And so, Lord, we're going to respond now in song.
Give us the courage to respond how we need to. And Lord, also for those in this room, maybe there's some who they need to give their lives to you. They know it. I don't need to say anything else. They, like, they know it. They know that their lives don't honor you. And they need to make a change. And God, they need to be forgiven. Because God, without trusting you, there's one thing waiting for us. That's hell. Separation from you forever. That's hell. But giving our lives to you, asking for forgiveness, and trusting in you and what you've done for us, there's life there. Your word says eternal life. So God, maybe there are people out there who need to accept your gift of eternal life today. God, give them the courage right now to ask your forgiveness. You can do it. If that's you, you can do it right now, where you are, in your seats. Talk to him. Just say, in the quietness of your own heart and head, you don't have to say it out loud, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for my sin. I know I deserve hell. I know I deserve death. I don't want it. I want you. I want a new life. Forgive me. Forgive me. I'm following you. Today is the day. In Jesus' name, amen.